0: Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: You've discovered your link to GoPowerCat.com's PowerCat Powercat podcast. Now, here's your host, GoPowerCat.com publisher, Tim Fitzgerald.
2: Welcome to another edition of the PowerCat Questions podcast brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Ryan Gilbert, and Cole Midnight Carmody here from the home studios and dog daycare. We had a big night last night. Dude's kind of mellow today. Had a middle-of-the-night seizure. He's probably thinking about the transfer portal, having a dream, and set off a seizure. But he's okay. He's currently got his head on Zach's leg. Such a macho dog we have. Hope everyone is doing well as we transition into the spring, if we can ever actually have the weather that goes with the spring. And we will cover a number of topics today. But like Dude, everyone's obsessed with the Transfer Portal. Given us a good topic of discussion here during the off season, And uh, as I said last week, I'm not sure K-State's done, but we will find out. We'll find out what questions you have about the Transfer Portal and a lot more about K-State sports as we go through this week's podcast. As I mentioned, we're sponsored by The Fridge. Make sure you stop into The Fridge whenever you are in town and say hi to Kevin and the gang. They do a great job there at the corner of this and that here in this city in which we live. I, I never get the roads right. So. I have no idea. It's the corner of Claflin and Westport. Correct. But I somehow screw
3: it up. I just know it by memory. I just go there.
2: Yep. That's like we all have this built in booze GPS that just takes us to the store. It's awesome. Just right up around the corner, not too far from here, but too far for my lazy fat ass to walk. But, and who wants to carry back a 12-pack of beer? Like a quarter of a mile. Plus, it would, would get drank along the way. Make sure you stop in at Tanner's and the High Low whenever you're in town. There are our segment sponsors. And now with your questions from Wabash Station. Here's the one, the only, Ryan Gills
1: Gilbert. First question of the podcast from Adam K 63 Ah, that jackass. Zach. What were you doing up at 2.08 a.m. Posting the podcast and overtime questions threads? Uh,
4: it's a late night. That's pretty typical I, for you. I right? stay up pretty late. So I remembered I needed to post it, and that's what happened. So that's why they sometimes end up at 2.08 2 2 a.m. on a Sunday or Monday, okay. whenever it is. Jack was TikTok involved? Uh, probably afterwards. Okay. A little bit, yeah. But, yeah, I stay up late. That's why, Adam. There you have it, Adam. Any more questions? Does he have any more? Eventually. We'll okay. Eventually. We'll you later. We'll get, to some, we'll,
1: we'll get some real ones. <laughs> Next question, I guess you could say the first real question from King Jim 77 <laughs> Gene, T- Gene Taylor says that Chris Kleiman will save 10 out of his 25 spots on the recruiting roster for transfer portal players. Does this seem too high?
2: Now, he apparently said this on the game, mm-hmm. and I didn't hear it. So I'll trust that that's right. That is an astonishing change of course for Chris Kleiman, who has said repeatedly, we're going to be a developmental program, we're going to bring players in and develop them. And I think he's realized very quickly that you can't do it full-fledged that way anymore at Kansas State. I mean, Bill Snyder, we all know, did that. It worked. But he was on the front line of getting junior college recruits. So he worked that angle pretty well. And that really is what supplemented the inability to get enough top tier recruits into the in into Manhattan, but the biggest problem you have when recruiting at Kansas State is population. <clears throat> I mean it's one of the smaller population states in power five and you have two schools. Even though KU doesn't try very hard in football, you still have that bleeding off. And and really I've said this before, Kansas State football could have never taken off until Wichita State shut down. When you go back through the history of K-State football, guys like B.J. Finney and Jonathan Truman, who were frontline, really good players for Kansas State, were walk-ons out of the Wichita area and would have probably been scholarshiped at Wichita State. So that just really made it a whole other level of talent that K-State was able to access. So Coach Snyder built the program off of working angles, gray-shirting, which nobody was doing, and he kind of brought that to. He was always working the angles. So I, I think it's oddly very Snyder-like that he's going to do this. Admit that you can't get enough, you can't get 20 to 25 really good high school players or ones that you can really develop to come in um, into the program on an annual basis. And now this transfer portal has just, been thrown open now i don't know if this is permanent i mean it just might be this window here while we're all adjusting to this one-time transfer rule that's in place and a bunch of kids over the next few years will be into the portal i think it's a good move i think it's a good move then you can evaluate off of you know some more film the problem is is the way the portal's set up um It's too easy for a kid to prearrange where he's going before he ever gets into the portal, which is a recruiting violation. Let's not be wrong about that. You can't be tampering with a kid directly or indirectly while he's on scholarship. But you better believe that goes on. It absolutely goes on. So this is going to be very interesting to see how he does this. Uh, And I would say this. This would be my kind of final thought on it. You better have a recruiting director for the transfer portal a supplemental another position someone that is only watching the portal and sifting through that film because we're going to have 1000 plus kids into the portal. And you can't just say well this kid's coming from Clemson so he's really good and this kid's coming from Southern Illinois so he's not good. We have seen that at Kansas State. Bradley Moore out of Northern Iowa was a legitimate Big 12 tight end. It will be drafted in into the NFL. But then you see some other kids come from other Power 5 schools that just aren't as good. So you really need to get in and dig through the film of their senior year, anything from their freshman year. The nice thing is now the new four game still maintain your redshirt rule gives you some film. So they're going to have to add to their recruiting staff, period. If they don't, this is not going to work. There's too many staffs out there that have – Huge recruiting staffs that can just reassign people into the managing the transfer portal. Someone now needs to be in charge of that 40% of your recruiting now will be from other institutions. I mean, you could almost divide it up to be three people of equal importance, in-state, out-of-state, transfer portal, three different jobs with people underneath them. Kansas State has to add to the recruiting staff. They added Chuck Lilly and kind of said, oh, that's good. Well, you know, the pandemic hit, but they've got to add more to it. They just have to.
3: I think a lot of it has to do with 10 out of the 25. If we're going to say 10 out of 25, does that count junior college transfers as well? Because I know that doesn't count. Junior college doesn't count for the transfer portal. But if you want to talk about transfers junior college needs to be a part of that because there's kids that play at the division one level that maybe don't find a home. This is going to, this is a hundred percent going to happen this year with the free transfer, with the free transfer rule, they're going to want to go somewhere. They're going to realize they can't play there. So they're going to go down to junior college and they're going to play a year there. And then they're going to try it again.
4: We'll get into Juco a li- little bit later down the, in the first half.
2: But it is interesting. The transfer portal, this one-time transfer thing is going to decimate junior
3: college football. A hundred percent. Let's, yeah, okay.
4: well, hang on, we'll get We'll get there. I think for me, me sitting here thinking about this as you guys talk is yeah. 10, you know, when you think about the transfer portal, it seems right. But think about all the guys you're going to lose every year. You're just replacing them. So are you really needing to save 10 slots for the portal when you're losing? Let's say 10 guys. I mean, if you're, if you're saving 10 and you're still losing guys out of the portal, that's a net gain of, you know, 10 plus whatever you lose. So to me, that seems really high. If it's if it's truly 10 and you're given 10 scholarship slots from, you know, your incoming freshman class, so to speak, and giving those to transfer players on top of what you're already going to replace from the portal, yeah, that seems really high. So I, I don't know. It, what are they at? They're at
2: six with... Uh... Cade Warner, and he was the sixth I guy. I think so. Two defensive backs, a linebacker, a defensive tackle. Who am I forgetting? I'm forgetting someone. A tight end. Mm-hmm. And then Cade Warner. The, so that's six.
3: And But if so, you're counting the net, there's how many guys that transferred away that were on scholarship? More than six. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying this is an escalation of even what they've been doing. I mean, I think he's now had a couple years of it and saying, hey, we're really helping our team here. We're going out and finding some guys that we aren't being able to access through the high school ranks. Again, this is exactly what Bill Snyder did. He just did it with the junior college ranks, and oh, man, that was unsavory. That was so dirty. You couldn't possibly build a college football program doing that. Never will you contend at the highest levels doing that. Oh, he did? Okay, everyone does it now, and that's why it's done, but we'll apparently get to junior college here in a little bit. It better be a good question, Zach. You've built it up. <laughs> we'll
1: get we'll get you, there. We'll you get there. Better be good. Yeah. Give us give us a couple more questions. only thing I'll say about this question here is it you know, does it seem too high? At first glance I was kinda concerned, but this is the world we're living in with the portal and this is the new norm. You've gotta embrace it and accept it. So I don't think it's too high.
4: But the, the way I see it is you have to still mint quote unquote these scholarships you know each year there's a new class you have to replace everybody that departs, and yep. that's a quarter of you know a quarter of the roster so just because a whole bunch of people swap it doesn't create any new spots you know across the board across you know college football so I think that- you know when you think about it that way, I think saving ten just seems high when you consider the net you know loss and gain,
2: yeah. I agree. Good
1: point. Good point.
4: Next question from Itane BB. How
1: will saving 10 guys for the transfer portal impact the recruiting of gray shirt kids? Do they have less room for gray shirts?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Gray shirts were meant, you know, I, they might still do it, but what's happened is they really haven't gray shirted many kids. They've ended up losing kids for academics or whatever that they signed. It opens up room in the class and then they they bring those kids in which tells me they weren't really the true gray shirt that I would think of them being. To me, gray shirts are one of three things. Um, and and one of them, academics, has been de-emphasized a lot. They don't do it very often. Way back when, they had a defensive tackle in Quentin Eccles that couldn't quite get eligible. So he gray shirted and got eligible through a standardized test in the fall. I don't really recall them doing that much anymore. It's a risk. Uh, the other one would be an injury. A kid blows out a knee in his senior year, isn't really going to be able to do anything for fall camp. So, you just gray shirt him and his eligibility doesn't start till January and he comes in for spring football. Um, gray shirting is really cool because it it you get five seasons to play four and you get five spring footballs technically, but your fifth one happens after your last season. So, you never get to use it. So, gray shirting preloads that fifth season spring football. So my buddy, Marcus Watts, uh, who's now 79 years old. Wow. Yeah. He keeps aging. He ages like a dog. He really is old. Um, He came in uh, as a 19 year old freshman. So he was already a year old and then um, he gray shirted and then he red shirted um, and then he had another spring football. So before he stepped on the field, he had a full year of a year and a half of being at Kansas state and two spring footballs before he started his clock. Um, we should all thank Marcus for switching positions with Jordy Nelson. It worked out really well for Jordy, but Marcus was never an NFL receiver because of it. But the other reason is, it, and this is why it was effective at Kansas State, you played high school football in the state. You get, what, nine games?
3: Nine regular season games, yeah.
2: How much spring out-of-season
3: contact do you get with your coaches? The summertime. You, play, you do summer from you know, June through August. And that's totally different than it was
2: 10 years ago, let alone when Bill Snyder came in, in 1988, 89, you had no outseason in content. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but what I'm saying is compared to States like Texas or Florida or Georgia or New Jersey or Ohio, where high school football is more embedded into the society into you know just kind of how things are done, where kids are in contact with their coaches and training year round. Kansas is a cross-trained state, which is advantageous as athletes. You get the Jordy Nelsons, you know, you, you get a Cody White here who was a basketball player, or you get a BJ Finney who was a wrestler. You get that cross-training. You don't just get football-specific training, but it means you're also behind the development, sometimes physically, but sometimes fundamentally, of kids from other states that have been with football coaches year round in intensive training. So the gray shirt offered another year of maturity physically and fundamentally for student athletes. So I get back to the question. I don't see why you do it very often. You can essentially use someone, what they did at someone else's program as their gray shirt, so to speak, unless you truly get an offensive lineman. I would contend wit Mitchum was a pretty good candidate to be gray shirt. They didn't, but They should have given him an out-of-season workout program, you know, for that first semester. He could have started six hours of class. He could have been here if he wanted to, pay his own way, but he could have done it from home remotely, stayed a part-time student, and then started his clock. That's the perfect guy. He was never going to play as a true freshman because he wasn't big enough to be an offensive lineman. Give him another year and help start building that mass. I would have have taught him how to order pizza and drink beer. Free. (laughs) free because i'm a giver and we would got some weight on them
4: for me the the gray shirt kind of like what you mentioned it's about getting that fifth spring football and the way i see the gray shirt being replaced right now is just enroll early and you get to have a spring football i know that those are all scholarship guys that are coming in early and, and but the irony is the opposite end of it those are
2: the guys that are more physically and athletically yeah. advanced that can come in and survive that
4: so you know it's it's two ends of the spectrum there but i kind of see it that way i mean the portal might influence a little bit but you know these gray shirt kids they weren't going on scholarship initially they weren't really you know around the team their first semester on campus considering how you know little classes they're allowed to take you know and it just kind of delays it and i don't know you know it, it wasn't common really that much in the first place you'd only did it on like a couple guys you know maybe they'll still do that and you maybe You'll hear about it or you won't hear about it,
3: but I don't think it changes gray shirts too much. Well, I didn't, wasn't Kyle Ball a gray shirt, if I remember right? Yeah, he was. Yeah. And I I, I, rec- I remember seeing him in high school. He was quite a few years older than me because I think by the time he graduated, he was 24 or 25. Yeah. I mean, Derek Bowman,
4: he's a walk on right now. Or, I, I mean, I assume he's still a walk on, but he was a gray shirt when he, you know, he came in after being homeschooled. So, you know, there's still gray shirt guys on the roster, but you know, we hear about Kyle ball. You may not hear about Derek Bowman. You know, there's, there's different, you know, levels, I guess, you know, sometimes guys will, you know, they'll wait, and then, you know, they'll be able to develop and they'll make the field. And sometimes maybe they don't pan
3: out So, as, as a coach though. I mean, why would you want to gray shirt somebody? Cause they're all right there on the edge. You know, we, they're not necessarily scholarship players, but they're probably a little bit better than preferred walk on. So as a coach, why would you not? Why would you want one of those kids right now when you could just say, well, I want a preferred walk-on to come and play on the scout team, be an extra body with the team right away, and we can develop them that way, as opposed to, well, we're going to have these guys wait and then bring them on for spring ball when you're bringing all these new kids in anyway. Yeah. Well, you, you get a kid that wouldn't come
2: as a walk-on who has scholarship offers. Maybe they're FCS, but they have offers. Um, So they come and and join your program instead of going somewhere else. And and plus then you get them, you know, in that sixth college year essentially, you know, as a 24-year-old person instead of, you know, being a year younger. You just become more and more of a man. didn't really happen for me, but in theory that happened. So I can see this going away. Back to the question. I can see this being less and less used uh, because now there will be a lot of and we're—I'm told—we're going to get to this, but I can see those uh, players ending up at junior college. They're full qualifiers they and go in for a year, improve themselves, and, and then maybe uh, land at a, you know, D one program, like Jeron McPherson did.
1: From Campy three five zero seven hey, is Campy. the transfer portal going to evolve into the equivalent of a Bill Snyder JUCO pipeline for climbing?
2: Absolutely, this is—it it is what it is, and. Uh, the the issue here, the weird thing is, is it wasn't necessarily the, you know, programs like Kansas State were using the junior college programs before anyone else. You know, I think Utah was in there a lot, um, other schools like that, <clears throat> and uh, they beat everyone to it and proved it worked. The transfer portal's kind of been the opposite, it seems like. It seems like the programs with the large recruiting staffs were able to commit resources to get into watching film on these transfer guys and said, Yeah, we'll take you. Yeah, we're gonna lose you know, we got some guys transfer now. We'll we'll use you. So it's it's been almost, I think it's been a played a part in the separation between the elites. Now there's a lot that go on with that. But you look at Justin Fields. I mean, that's a transfer portal guy before the transfer portal, but you know, he transfers in. And we've seen that around a lot of these programs contending for national titles. Oklahoma used it almost every year until Spencer Rattler. We're going to bring in a quarterback through the transfer rule. And they've used it to elevate their teams in ways others couldn't. But now maybe this will even sum things out. You know, maybe we'll see some kids that, hey, I I signed with Clemson, and it's great, and I love being here, but I'm a backup, and I know damn well I could be a starter somewhere else. And maybe those kids will start leaving those programs, and we'll start to see this even out a little
3: bit. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a pipeline. Um, I think in order for something to be a pipeline, it has to be proven effective. And we're yet to see that with Chris Klein. I think he's off to a great start with the transfers that they've gotten in. But I do think that in order for it to become a pipeline, we have to see Julius Burns, We have to see Rush East. We have to see these guys that are coming from bigger schools actually have some success. It's one thing for Briley Moore to come from northern Iowa to go up. But for these guys that were, you know, at lateral or bigger schools to come here, I think they have to have success in order for it to be considered a pipeline.
2: And really, K-State, for the most part, is using it for one and dones. That's the majority of the guys are bringing in. And I think to really use the transfer portal the right way, you have to go get a sophomore. You know, you have yeah. to go get someone that maybe maintained their red shirt but played four games, put something on film, hated their coach, and wants to wants to transfer. You know, and – we see a lot of these kids going out of state. The Big 12 just got rid of their rule for the in-conference transfers. We saw a basketball player from Kansas go to Iowa State. Um, if they've lost a lot of kids in state recently, it seems to be, unfortunately, a trend continuing into 2022, maybe then they can reel those kids back in, even if they went within the conference later on to say, "You oh, know, hey, things didn't work out. Come on back come on back and then maybe they'll set a tone to keep them in the first place.
4: Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a pipeline ever, but I don't think it's really going to be a pipeline for, for anybody. If you want to be good at football is, is it, it appears that, you know, it's going to have, it's going to play a role into the success of teams. You need to be successful in the, in the transfer portal. If you're going to win football games is, is what it's shaping up to be. So maybe it'll be a pipeline, but it's, it's only be a pipeline for the successful teams year in, year out. So I mean I feel like I'm contradicting myself now so yeah maybe maybe Casey it'll need to be good and and turn it into a pipeline if that's what they want but I don't see it as a as a pipeline yet kind of like what you talked about Cole. Next question from
1: Ohio Power Cat does the transfer portal spell the end to JUCO recruiting or will the JUCO ranks be a place to find a recruit that folks missed?
2: That's a, what it's going to be become. I mean, we've seen this Throughout history, guys that weren't happy, weren't getting playing time, or got in trouble, and maybe that's still where junior college yeah. will come in. Yeah. at their first institution, go to junior college and and resurface. I mean, last chance you was kind of based on that premise. You know, it wasn't just about the the farm kid who turned out to be a D one player that nobody knew about. It was about the guy coming from Ohio State or whatever, and ending up in Independence, Kansas or Ho Hum, Mississippi. Um, and I use that other than a different phrase that I would prefer to use. But and you know, recycle their career, rejuvenate themselves, reinvent themselves, and maybe that will still go on. I mean, if you've gotten kicked off a team for. Reasons I won't bring up, but maybe you slip down in recruiting. But if you go to junior college, you can reinvent yourself, say, hey, I've been a good citizen now for a full year. I would like to play back at the power five level. So maybe that still exists, but it is going to hurt, Cole. It's going to hurt junior college recruiting quite a bit, junior college football quite a bit because – Some big-time players came back down through the wash and ended up in small Kansas towns or in other small towns around the nation, and now they might just hop right back into another power five because there's no penalty for transferring.
3: I think I look at this, and I think of a guy like Lance Robinson, a guy who comes to K-State, plays a little bit, ends up at Tulane, I believe, is where he's at now. Um, A guy like that is the perfect candidate to go down to a junior college, play for a year, And then see if he can get back up to power five, especially this year, which I think we're going to see right now, junior college, Kansas junior college is playing right now. I don't know off the top of my head. I don't even know if this is for sure, but I would assume a lot of the kids that transferred, there are kids that transferred in the fall that went to a junior college that are playing this spring. And then they're going to wind up on a campus somewhere else next fall. So they could potentially play three seasons in three three different seasons in three different semesters. And I personally think that junior college football, um, if these kids are smart, they need to use junior college more than the average kid in the transfer portal, because it's only going to help them more. If I'm a coach, I'm looking at the junior college just as much as I'm looking at the transfer portal, because there's going to be kids there that he said it right. I mean, there, there will be some kids that folks missed out that play in junior college. Absolutely. From
1: Adam K 63 is Antonio Gordon's commitment to Southeast Louisiana a product of an oversaturated transfer portal? I think he's a good example of that. I mean,
2: there was probably some view of him as being a risk based on why he departed Kansas State. I'm not going to get into that, but, I mean, it wasn't just him saying, I, I want to go somewhere else, honestly. So, um, maybe some coaches thought, well, he's not good enough for the risk. I think that's what Tulsa said. I think Tulsa decided well, if we're going to take a risk, it's going to be on someone better than Antonio Gordon, who's a good player i'm I'm really surprised he went that far down, but let's I always say this I mean, kids need to understand that if they leave a power five or in basketball power six institution that there's a good chance they're not going to end up at a like university and I say that in a derogatory manner, meaning. You know, you're going to go play at a lesser program. But maybe that's what they want. Maybe they knew they were in over their head and they just want to be the star. They just want to be playing 35 minutes a game and being out there because I got got to be honest here. I mean, if you're playing at Kansas State or I don't want to say Kansas or, you know, one of the national Duke or North Carolina, because I imagine that experience is totally different than what we think of. But if you're playing at Iowa State, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, is your experience any better as a college basketball player than if you were at Northwest Missouri State and you're the star and you're the starter? Or you, your other option would be to play five minutes a game, be the walk-on at a par five? So that's a decision each individual needs to make. And maybe Antonio decided, you know, I want to step down. And I want to enjoy my college experience. And I want to find a good fit for me. I don't know. But there are a lot of kids that don't understand the consequences of their decision. I'm going to leave Kansas State and I will be at Georgetown. I will be... They don't understand how difficult that jump can be. Or how many really good players. A Joshua Youngblood, he didn't end up at Clemson or Ohio State, Texas or Oklahoma. He ended up at Rutgers. (laughs) Which is you know, kind of developing and getting better under Coach Ciano, but I don't think that probably was what he initially hoped. It was what was available because of a pre-existing relationship there. And that's I had a daily delivery about this. I think the NCAA needs to offer kids information. Probably has to be in video. here. you need to really watch these. Kids telling their story, kids saying what they went through, how, how saturated it's become. I mean, I know running out a statistical analyst, analytical video for a young person or any person that's into their emotions, I got to leave, isn't really going to hit home as much as we'd like. But when you find out that 30% of the kids in the transfer portal never got another scholarship, what's that mean for your life? What's that mean for your family? Is that really what you want to risk? Uh, You know, I think of a James Gilbert who went into the portal, worked out great, leaves Ball State, right? Comes to Kansas State and um, ends up having a great season, a great experience. But I had this really nice conversation with James about how he has to finish his degree because he'll be the first person in his family ever to get a college degree. And I shared with him that that same story was true for my father. So you you look at the advantages I had growing up in Salina, Kansas were all set by the fact that Pat Fitzgerald used the GI Bill, like a college scholarship, to go get a degree from Northwestern and change the trajectory of his entire family from there on. And that's what James was doing for his family. That's a lot to risk, guys. That's not just oh darn, I'm not gonna play college football. That's, oh, darn, I'm not going to have the same opportunities I would have had with a degree or my kids and their kids would have had. So it's they need to understand some of this, that making these rash decisions can have huge negative consequences on their entire life.
4: At least in Antonio's case, I don't think that this was a an oversaturation of the transfer portal. I think he landed probably about where he was expected to land. I know he, maybe Tulsa was was where you know was a rumored landing spot, but as far as you know the quality of play, and if he wants to be a star, he gets to be the star. So you know, I, I think that this is probably less of less of the transfer portal than it is just, just sure. where where Antonio should land. Southeastern Louisiana, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: Okay, well, let's look this up here. I'm typing in Southeastern and it's not even, I'm getting a lot of Southeasterns. There it is.
1: Nope, oh, it went away. It dear. plays with Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christian, I think. Southland. Yeah. Whatever that is. Hammond, Louisiana. You ever heard of that?
2: Yes, I have heard of it. Mm. Uh, it tr- achieved university status in 1970. Average age is age. Aid average aid is twelve thousand a year. Um, I'm trying to find enrollment here. Where's your enrollment? Come on, guys, cooperate here. Well, this is Wikipedia. It's almost like it's free and not very reliable.
4: So, huh. not on the upper right side uh, on the little panel. Nope, nope it wasn't. Thirteen
2: thousand students. I ain't got news for you. Um, that that's probably where K State would be without Bill Snyder coming. We were at sixteen, actually. Fourteen two is their total. So they've got about a thousand graduate students. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean good. I mean they play a decent brand of basketball in Southland. It's gonna be okay. You'll be he'll be the big man on campus.
1: It's a combination of a few things for me. Like you guys brought up some good points, but I never thought Antonio was a legitimate power five player. Oh, so he's taken a step down Is good, but I didn't expect him to go down to honestly a school that I had never heard of. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is word spreads around coaches. You know, if he wanted to go to Tulsa, he could go there. You know, he committed there before coming to K state and decommitted. But if he wanted to play at a higher level, he could, I don't think any school was really wanting to take that risk. Like you said, Fitz. So it's, it's a combination of, of many things, but yeah. I just, I think that word spreads is the biggest one.
2: Anyone know their school colors? Green. Green and gold. There we go. Do you know their mascot? The lions? Something? I'm not lying. The tigers. They're the lions and their mascot is named Rumi the lion. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? I don't know. What? There was a guy in charge of it, like picking his roommate to be the mascot. So he just said, I'm going to name you Rumi.
4: It's weird. (laughs) They played Oklahoma State in the NCAA tournament once. Really? 2005, I believe. Hmm. Whenever whenever KU lost to Bucknell that that year. All righty. Good fun fact. That's your fun fact of the day.
1: Last question of the first half from Itane BB. I feel more confident with New York basketball recruits than Kansas football recruits now. Do you
4: agree or disagree?
2: Oh, I don't know. I don't have enough... They're all Rolando Blackman. I'll feel good about
4: it. Um, I I like. I, I understand the question. I do like too. I mean, it, it, like yep. like yeah, we're getting a whole bunch of basketball guys from New York, and it feels like we're losing a bunch of guys from Kansas. But are you are you really is K State really losing? You know, all these guys because like if you can compare these basketball players that we're getting to the rest of New York, you know, they're probably comparing them to football in Kansas. They're probably like, you know top 50 top 100 guys maybe maybe worse than that i I don't know what the what these guys are ranked in the state so
3: i don't think that it's necessarily apples to apples there i think kansas is usually under recruited when it comes to football and i think you can make an argument that new york is sometimes over recruited when it comes to basketball so i mean personally i i I would like to think that kansas football puts out uh, they put out a great product especially when We don't see very many kids come to K-State that are Kansas kids that really underachieve. I mean, usually these kids that are from Kansas come here and overachieve. We don't see very many underachievers from the state. So we've seen that with New York basketball recruits. So I'm still hesitant, especially when um, the coach who's bringing in these basketball recruits is in his second full year. Um, I'm not saying that I don't think that these guys are going to be any good or that I don't trust Shane Southwell, but... I still will take the Kansas football recruits 100%. I'll say this. It, it offers
2: a Kansas a chance for Kansas State basketball to really redefine itself as a landing spot. I've always said Kansas State doesn't do a good enough job of recruiting to the mothers and, and the fathers that this is a safe haven, that this is a place. Where I want to go someplace urban. Well, okay, but there's probably another kid whose mom wants him not to be in an urban environment to be someplace where there's less trouble, so to speak. Now, if you really want to find trouble, you can find it anywhere, but I, I think the family atmosphere of Kansas State lends itself to a recruiting advantage that I don't think this institution has taken proper uh, access to. And so if these New York kids pan out, I'm all for it. I mean, you can say the same thing about Chicago or other any other urban center where basketball is part of the culture. Chicago is different because it's dirty. It just is. I mean, Chicago basketball is a cesspool for people looking for a handout to get you a player. I mean, that's a that's a cultural thing in Chicago that I think goes back to the mob. <laughs> I mean, it is, what's in it for me, someone's always leveraging someone else. But, you know, I'm sure that goes on in New York, but I don't think it's part, as big a part of the society. I think just there's a lot more going on in New York. There's players there. I mean, you could probably walk into your typical New York City League game and and find three kids that are better than you'll see in ten Kansas games. Even if you're going to Wichita games and stuff, I mean, there's it's more population, more population. The schools are bigger. They get the coaches get a pick for more kids. I'm all in. I want to see what happens. But I, I'm right with you, Cole. I got to be convinced that these guys are going to have a significant impact on the program. I'm not just going to say, Hey, this sounds good. I mean, you know, this, it, it's hopeful, but that doesn't mean it's going to work.
1: Fitz, I kind of disagree with you. You know, K-State's been losing over and over again with these local Kansas kids with football recruiting. So it doesn't – I mean, yes, you want them to pan out at K-State, but if you can't get them in the first place, then there's never a chance for them to do anything. So, you know, two 2024 athletes have been offered over the the past couple days, um, New Yorkers from from Southwell, I assume, Um, and then three of the five newcomers are from New York. So they are winning. And you look at St. Louis, I mean – have they all panned out from St. Louis? No, but they've gotten a lot of basketball recruits. They're winning that area. Um, so they're definitely doing better than football in my mind because football recruiting in Kansas is, is not going too well right now for well, K-State.
2: I would so agree with that. I,
1: I mean, it matters for them to develop and get better, but at least they're winning those battles elsewhere. For basketball,
2: I would like to see Kansas State basketball. This is not comparison comparing football recruiting to basketball recruiting because they're, you know, would you rather pet an elephant or a rhino? You know, just maybe that's not right. That's not a good comparison. But um, I, I, I think K State's missed out on Kansas. And KC Metro basketball players. Mm -hmm. I think they've taken chances on kids from Arizona or Texas or somewhere far flung when there was a kid in Kansas who might not initially look as good, but might go to Abilene Christian and then end up at Wichita State. And you know what? That kid could have helped you more than that kid from Arizona ever could have. So I think you kind of get romantic about going and finding the more difficult, the more challenging recruit. They should have someone really intensely recruiting Kansas city. There's kids there and in the state of Kansas, but you know, Kansas is the population center. There are kids in the state of Kansas that if you gave them enough love on the basketball front would look at Kansas state like Dean Wade did. This is my spot. And you're never going to build a national championship program out of that because Kansas hasn't done that. I mean, they've had to go outwards, but, boy, they got a couple guys that could help K-State that are from the state of Kansas right now. That if you'd been romancing them from the time they were a freshman, instead of Bill Self walking in at the end of their senior year and saying, want a scholarship? Heck, yeah. mean, I just started hearing from Kansas State and these other schools. Heck, yeah, I'll go to Kansas. Maybe you win more battles like Dean Wade. Kids that said, hey, where were you three years ago? Because I got to tell you, that's the kid you want on your team that is bought in from early on. That's it for the first half of the Powercat Questions podcast. Man, that was long. That was as long as a podcast right there. But we'll be back because we got more questions from Wabash Station.
1: The Powercat Podcast will be right back. We now send it back to the PowerCat
2: Podcast. Welcome back to the PowerCat Questions Podcast. We took a big break. It was it was like a soothing break where we talked about life. We figured stuff out.
4: We're not going to share any of that. We went out to our cars at halftime.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep, that's exactly what we did. We did some halftime tailgating here at the podcast with liquor from the fridge, wholesale liquor. Actually, we don't drink while we do this. I only drink once in a while in the overtime. The the wandering beer that needs a home. Make sure you stop in the fridge whenever you're in town and we get down to Aggieville folks. They need your help. So does downtown Manhattan, all those great local business owners. Make sure you're hitting up the local business establishments here in Manhattan like Tanner's, which general manager Charlie owns a part of and the high low, my friend Adam, who owns AJ's pizza is with the high low. So make sure you support all local businesses and The ones that have survived the pandemic are remarkable, especially the the college bar scene. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: Man, I love those people that can, they just, you persist. I always tell people, they ask me, what what do I need to know if I'm going to open my own business? You got to know if you're a person that wants to create your own paycheck or needs someone else to give you a paycheck that you're secure about. Nothing's wrong with either one. You got to be in the right fit, though. If you start up a business and you don't like the insecurity that hey I may not be able to make my house payment, you're in the wrong business. And and if you're one of those people, but you're working for someone else and you can't stand being told what to do because they're idiots, then you're going to be miserable. That was me. Everyone else was an idiot. And now you guys get to think I'm an idiot. <laughs> See how
1: that works? Let's get going. Your questions from Wabash Station. Back to Gills. First question of the second half from Win the Dang Day 2001. <laughs> Why no alcohol in the stadium? Lawyers, fans, how can you alcohol for the twenty twenty season and not the twenty twenty one season?
4: <laughs> Sorry, that was the typo. I mean, can you reread
2: it? I kind of like it. It, it. does, it does. It make sense. Yeah. Yeah. You sell how alcohol? alcohol is a
4: thing. How can you alcohol? Yeah. How can I you alcohol? Missed a word there. Was it, it sell well. alcohol? Yeah. I yeah. Sell. I like it though. Yeah. How can you alcohol? Just <laughs> have, have alcohol. Have it as it a verb. Yeah. Hey,
2: uh, Zach, what are your thoughts?
4: I I mean, we kind of, we've gone over this, you know, a lot. I, I'm i kind of disappointed, but I think what it says is, hey, the money we could make on alcohol is less than the money we'd lose on making all these fans mad about not going to their cars at halftime. Apparently, I mean, Dude, that, you, that's, that's the way I see it.
2: Do you think they got feedback from people saying, if you stop me from going to my car, I'm not going to come to games.
4: Mm-hmm. I'd make, I, that has to be it. Right. I think it's I think it's a weird argument to make, but why I think not selling alcohol after you've sold it is a weird thing to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, it's it's mystifying. I'm sorry. I I
2: screw those people. <laughs> You're either in it
3: for the game, for the fandom, or not. I don't I Oh, man. Is it because they miss tailgating so much? I mean, that's the only other thing. Though Look, it's
2: it's a big part of the culture. There's no doubt about it. K-State fans aren't even aware of how important it is to their culture. Because back in the day, guys, back before Bill Snyder football, before it was fun, you had these huge parking lots. that weren't paved. They were gravel. Don't die for passes. when When my friends older brothers would throw me a pass and make me dive don't do that um but you had tailgating you showed up we always had like chicken you know whatever kfc it back in the day it was it was about that i mean my dad didn't really booze at the tailgate he was a football coach he was there to watch football so um it's really ingrained in the culture those parking lots are unlike anything you're going to find around college football. I mean, you think of the great historic stadiums. There are Memorial Stadium at Kansas State developed. You know, I mean, literally, that, they're named Memorial Stadium because they're on campus. They're memorial or usually World War I, and boom, they build this huge stadium. So just imagine what the parking situation would be in Manhattan, Kansas, if Memorial Stadium on campus was there. First of all, there would be a lot fewer houses. I mean, that would be more campus that would have developed around there with businesses and stuff. If you've seen the photo, we've got one up in here somewhere where there's—I don't know where it's at. Uh, there's nothing beyond the stadium. Where is it? Do I have it up? It's right there, Over here. Yeah, there's nothing. That's west of the stadium. It's a—it's a field. The elevation wipes me out. You're not conscious of that elevation as you're, you just kind of drive up Anderson going to the West, and you know you're climbing, but that elevation's obvious. So, yeah, it's just part of the culture. It's a big part of the culture. But people have also twisted that into the really bad habit of going out at halftime and not coming back, mm-hmm. which has been part of the student experience because you're not allowed to drink until you're 21, which for me was my senior year. And, you know, I was an angel, I never touched alcohol but so a lot of kids if the game's not exciting enough, you know, and and really this goes with our short attention nowadays. We see this on our website. We we've really pared down what kind of time commitments you have to make for content. And uh, you know, that's that's proven data and that's probably proven with fandom too. Oh, it's been through the first quarter. I'm bored. Yeah. You know, i just, we're, we're constantly seeking stimulus. I know this cause I'm the same way with social media, stimulus, stimulus, got to keep going. So got to get up, got to go have some alcohol, got to go hang out with my friends. I got to talk to them, talk to them. All oh, the game started. Well, I'm having more fun here. It's really built into the culture. I get why they didn't allow it, but I say you got to do it. But I also don't think it's an either or proposition. That's where I'm kind of getting a disconnect here. Couldn't you have alcohol sales and allow pass-outs? I mean, how does this change things? I think it would lessen the number of people that leave. You know, I'll just have them. I'll stick around, use a restroom, have a couple beers here at halftime inside the stadium, don't have to walk all the way out of the car. I'm old, and I look at it from a parental standpoint, even though I don't have kids that I know of, that, um, <laughs> I always use that with my wife. She goes, I would know, I would know if I had kids. <laughs> um, I'm, but I don't have kids, so I don't understand what she's talking about. Uh, you might need something in the car. I mean, you just might, pr- particularly now that limit what you can bring in, you can't bring in your whole, you know, all the food for your kid. And, and so I kind of get that. Maybe that's where they're coming from, but I don't understand this either or thing. Can not we sell alcohol in the stadium and, Let people leave too. Maybe uh, you know. uh, Maybe no, no more pass outs after halftime.
4: I've always interpreted it as a legal thing. I don't know. Well, that's a southpaw (laughs) way in. This is what I don't understand.
2: This they had it. If it was a legal thing, they would have never allowed it last year in any form. I understand that you have some. We're in a litigated. litigious society boy words litigious society in which people want to find a reason to sue for everything and everything and everything and everything this isn't my fault you sold me alcohol it's not my fault i bought it so
4: i get that but, but they didn't let passouts last year you couldn't leave yeah. if you left you you were done
2: i don't i don't see how they go hand in hand uh, maybe they're afraid if doesn't make sense to me, if you're if you're going to get alcohol through the third quarter, right? Is it what it was. I don't know.
3: Does so, it have I to mean, do? That's does, what it, does it have to do with like is. drunk driving?
4: Yeah, and,
2: uh, yeah. But I,
4: that's when you cut off when you cut off sales.
2: Yeah, that's what it's about. People leaving at the end of the game. But if I want to leave at halftime, and I got a bunch of beards at the first half, I'm still if I'm leaving, I'm leaving. It yeah. Doesn't matter if it's post game or. <clears throat> all right, so I. Right, I get it. You get lawyers involved, and they think of every possible scenario. Let's be honest. A lot of the lockdown stuff has been litigation based. We don't want fans in the stands because if they get COVID, they're going to sue us. Mm-hmm. You know, I. It, it's just something is. I don't mean this to be political, but we have kind of lost personal responsibility. I, I'm in charge of my decision to drink. Even if I'm an alcoholic, I'm I'm still in charge of knowing, <clears throat> or those around me. Nobody's making you do this. Nobody makes you get behind a, the wheel. Nobody makes you overindulge in anything. If if a stair's broken and you don't know it and you fall down the stadium, that's a lawsuit. But making the choice to buy alcohol, which unfortunately doesn't solve, common sense doesn't solve the litigation issue. It. We can, we can sue for anything and we do. And a lot of people are in the business of suing simply to get the settlement. Like I'm going to sue Zach and get a settlement. Mm.
4: The only other possible just small chance thing is what if there's some donor out there that donates a lot of money, but it's contingent on having no alcohol sales in the stadium. Screw that person. <laughs> That's the only other thing I can think of. Cause it just does there's like, there's no rational explanation for this. I, I agree. There's no rational explanation why you you let it in and you're like, hey, we had a good time this last year. We're going to take that away so you can go out to your car for 20 minutes and maybe never come back to the game. Have they said if there's – you get five hours before the game to tailgate and you get however long you want to after and you can go play on the field after the game. I don't – there's so much time to go tailgate that you need 20 minutes right. to go get a beer that you can
3: just buy – 50 feet from your seat? Can you buy it in the suites? Yeah. Is that going to be something that they're still going to This be? is well, another still, yeah. thing I don't yeah.
2: understand. You're basically saying we trust the donors, but not the little people. Mm-hmm. Come on, man. What is this crap? You don't pay enough to have the privilege of drinking. Yeah. Come on. Come on. I don't know. I... If you're a person who thinks your worldview must be applied to everyone else's existence, screw you too. That goes for a lot of things, let alone if you're that person that says, I don't want anyone drinking around me. Then don't go places where alcohol might be available, including a stadium. Because if you look around, if you watch TV, there's a reason there's a lot of alcohol ads in sporting events and on televised sporting events it's because that demographic drinks. Don't apply your worldview and make everyone try to live within your world. Uh, there's so many people like that. Left, right, center, religious, not religious. It's just everywhere. Man, I got libertarian on everyone, didn't I? <laughs> this what full libertarian. Just, just let people live, man.
1: From third gen Wildcat, the newly proposed European Super League is causing quite the controversy. I read one sports writer compare this proposal to if the NCAA football powers created their own league separate from the NCAA. I have heard you all discuss various solutions for NCAA football, but can't recall the details. Compare contrast this Super League proposal with what you all have heard or proposed yourselves regarding. Solutions for NCAA football.
2: Okay. I would like to point out that before we started this podcast, I had to have this explained (laughs) to me. So I'm going to sit back now (laughs) and let Cole and Zach discuss this topic.
4: Yeah. So the European Super League, it's basically if you take all of the, the top teams in each league, so domestic leagues, you know, you have the English Premier League, you have the Bundesliga in Germany, you know, Serie A in Italy, League One, France, La Liga, Spain, you know, all of the top teams from those domestic competitions, you know, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, PSG, Arsenal, Manchester City, Manchester United, you know, those types of clubs that are historically and recently been very good and make a lot of money and spend a lot of money. They decided that, Hey, we're going to branch off, um, instead of playing the midweek champions league that UEFA puts on They said, Hey, we're going to make basically a franchise league, And we're going to play each other in the midweek separate of our domestic competitions, like the Premier League, La Liga, et cetera. And this caused a a pretty big stink among, you know, fans across Europe and and across the world, just because of what football or soccer has been for, you know, for decades, for centuries or a century, you know, uh, you know, long, a long time, a long period of time of, of these local clubs, you know, building up. And there, there used to be not this ridiculous amount of money in soccer that there is today and uh, a lot of people felt that these clubs while they've they got good and they earned a lot of money you know now they're just basically in it just for the money and it's all greed and it's not about the soccer anymore which that's kind of what the what the controversy is so basically these top teams uh, you know, they they basically leave the current competitions and, and there was talks of, you know, them potentially leaving the Premier League or leaving La League and being kicked out and having to just play their own little Super League together. But since these since the podcast questions thread went up, the Super League was born and the Super League has pretty much died. You know, everyone's pretty much pulled out. It's not going to happen. Pretty much
3: what this is, is if the top two teams in the Big 12, the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten and, and the, Pac-12. the Pac-12 said, okay, traditionally the top two teams in each of those conferences said, okay, we're going to separate ourselves from the NCAA and we're going to play each other in a league and then we're going to have a championship game because we're so much better than everybody else that this is what we're going to do. And I don't think that that would ever happen in college sports because, first of all, there's so many teams and so many different fan bases where that's so hard to do. And and there's so much parity in college athletics as opposed to, you know, European soccer. I don't follow European soccer super closely, but I follow it closely enough to know that those are the top teams. You know, we've seen how many times where uh, the SEC Florida, for example, I would imagine Florida would probably be if you were to take this uh, comparison, one of those teams to leave and go join their super conference. So I think that, Having this happen for the NCAA, I don't think is very realistic, and it doesn't really scare me. I, the, I, I don't know. It's just it's it's interesting because this is from all over Europe as opposed to simply one sport in the United States when yeah. with the collegiate institution. The the way the the, the best comparison
4: here really is between college football in America and soccer in Europe. You know, each of the the countries is a conference But the, the problem with soccer and how it works on a world stage is you don't have a draft You know, you have to buy all of your players or sign them You know when they're 12 and develop them in your youth academy and hope that by the time they turn 16 17 You know, maybe they can crack the senior roster and then you know value and then sell them later and you know re- replenish everything but the market is the entire world. You can play, you know, for Sporting KC in America and, you know, if Arsenal likes somebody and they say, hey, we're going to pay you, you know, $10 million to secure your player. So they transfer over to Arsenal and then they get a play over there. There's no draft. There's no, you know, it's just the way academies work. So it's similar to college football in the fact that you have to recruit kids from high schools, you know, there's no draft. You have to go find everybody out on your own. So, you know, a lot of these teams, like, like, let's take the Super League proposal, for example. Like, I'm an Arsenal fan. Arsenal has been garbage for the most part. You know, I mean, yes, they're one of the top teams in England, but, you know, they haven't been, they haven't really competed for the last few years. When you make these Super Leagues and they're franchises, franchised and you can't kick them out, you know, every year there's going to be a bad team and it could be years of having one team that is at the bottom of that league if they're going to play everybody once or twice you know throughout the season so you know when you when you make these top leagues and superpowers there's somebody that's going to be quote unquote undeserving because there's just no way to create parity unless you're going to financially you know reward being bad that's the only way to do it which doesn't make any sense if you're going to win the super league you should be paid the most money so there's really no good solution to parity in that sense for that league, and the same would go over to the to the NCAA if let's say OU, Texas, USC, UCLA, Nebraska, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida, Alabama, Clemson, Florida State. Say they make a league, and Nebraska sucks every year. <laughs> you know they they wouldn't deserve to be there, but somebody has to be a punching bag in this quote unquote super league because they all felt that they were better at one time and now they're stuck with that. So that's, that's the comparison I see. So I don't think anything would ever really happen like that unless, unless college football actually created a a pyramid system where they promoted and relegated teams, you know, year in, year out. So it's, it's interesting to think about, but it's basically a moot point now that that the super league's done.
2: Okay. So the way they set this up is exactly my, problem with when they start talking about we're gonna have a a level up from current FBS football. Someone makes that decision arbitrarily. Like I saw the list, someone was it the Athletics someone
4: Yeah, and, there's been.
2: And and Nebraska's on that list. <laughs> okay, so that's made based on historical things that don't apply nowadays. I mean they got a great fan base. They do have a national following that is you know, watered down, they're losing that. So I get it. But you are asking in our society, back to what I've been talking about, to get yourself sued into madness by the these institutions you have arbitrarily left out. So you pretty much to make this work, you have to set you have to have this kind of budget, you have to do this, you have to this kind of stadium, you have to do this. Here's your guidelines. To be part of this, you make the decision, Do you can you spend that much on football? Or or you are, you know, going to be sued. And I don't know if that's what happened here. I, you know, we really haven't heard what happened. I mean, plus you just, it's the same. We've seen it. Nebraska wasn't getting its way in the Big 12, so we're going to take our ball and we're going to go to the Big 10 where we will be treated equal partners. Oh, we're not? Well, we want to go back to the Big 12 where it's we're going to be, you know, There's always going to be an alpha. And when you set up a super conference, no matter what the sport, there's going to be previous alphas who aren't betas. They're below that now. Because that's what Zach brought it up. Doesn't matter what conference you make. If it's the Southland in basketball or the Big 12 with seven teams going to the NCAA tournament in basketball. At the end of the regular season, when you've played all your conference games, 50% of the teams have won, and 50% of the games have been lost. Someone's going to look bad no matter how you shake it out. So if you're going to build a super conference and say you can only schedule 11 of your games within this super division, 10 of your games, your average team will be 5-5. Five and five. Within that division, and you might pick up two more wins. So, will on average, fan bases at name the school be happy with seven and five? On average, no. And that will impact your standing with your fans and your national following, and it'll start to deteriorate. So, there's something to be said with keeping all of those schools around. You want Kansas in your football league. Kansas particularly, they bring something to the table in basketball that is virtually impossible to replace and you get to beat the crap out of them every year. You want that. You just do. Does it make the Big 12 look worse, does it, in football that you have Kansas? Everyone has one. Vanderbilt. What is the Big Tens now? Maryland? Nebraska? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. but Rutgers. yeah. So you, you be
4: careful what you wish for. My last point here is, you know, if, if something like this were to happen in the NCAA, it would take a mutually agreed upon destruction of the NCAA. All of the, the power five institutions would need to mutually decide we are done with you, you know, and it it would be for all sports, you know. The, NCAA, the the member institutions of these Power Five conferences and whoever else really thinks they can join, quite frankly, there's not too many of them if they think they can. They're not you know, they're gonna have to say we're done. We're done with the NCAA, and that'll be the future of college football. But until as long as the NCAA is around, I wouldn't be worried really that much.
1: Next question from K Ned, NIL prediction. NIL will be a plus to blue bloods in basketball and a problem in football. Thoughts? And NIL is name, image, and likeness. Oh, yeah, I wasn't Yeah, sorry.
2: Um, yeah, it's going to be a problem. It's going. It's not going to be blue bloods. It's it's not. It's going to be big market. I mean, you will have so much more access, and not huge market. I don't think it having. The Office of Tackle, a automobile commercial for your car lot in Los Angeles is going to do much. Move the needle. But Columbus, Ohio? Oh, hell yes. You know, North Florida with University of Florida? Georgia? Yeah. Anytime you've got a big market, Nebraska. You know, it doesn't matter. You can be... That kid from Western Nebraska, who's now the starting strong safety, and you can have influence over Nebraska fans to purchase. So, if you have a big market for your team, no, I'm not talking just population, I'm talking big following. Yeah, maybe that does reach into the blue bloods, but I don't know. I don't, I would think a kid would have more. Access to a fan base and influence for name his name and likeness at Ohio State than Michigan. Uh, Cause I kind of know both fan but Michigan's a bigger market. Michigan's Detroit, you know, it's got a lot of pro teams that those same fans follow. Ohio State really doesn't have that as much. It's more of a, you know, I think Tennessee might be a huge market for this.
3: I was talking to B.J. Kissel today about this because he works for Let It Fly, which is um, a company that deals with Sports marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And he was talking about NIL in particular. And he brought up a good example of this. And what he said was it's like you mentioned an offensive tackle for K-State. It's going to be more of he's going over to – Via Christie and doing a promotional video for them, right. as opposed to getting on ESPN and you know doing all that kind of stuff. So I don't think that, if anything, it's just going to be a hassle for everybody involved. But I don't think it's going to be a hindrance or it's going to be a positive to necessarily a blue blood in, in football or basketball. I think it just is there for this, the athletes to make money themselves, as opposed to. Really being a problem for the university. Now,
2: now Zach, I think this comes in more with the kids that, for whatever reason, have built a social media following. Yeah. We Mm -hmm. just had a walk-on recruit who has an enormous social media following that might actually have some marketability that would – it isn't because he's an athlete at Kansas State that he might get an endorsement for whatever. Yeah. Um. What's a damn drink that everyone uses? Bradley. Bang bang Bang. Energy. (laughs) He might get an endorsement from Bang Energy, but being an NCAA athlete, he couldn't do that, right? So I think that's where we're talking about. Um, a a lot for K State, but I mean, really, is there is there a football player? I mean, maybe Deuce Vaughn will get there that could do an ad in the Kansas City market, and people will be like, Deuce Vaughn shops at Whatever, I want to go there. It just doesn't really work. It doesn't translate. But I think you're right. I think locally, I mean, I've known some guys that if they could get an endorsement deal for social media stuff, hey, I'm hanging out at Tanner's and Tanner's is giving me free food. You know, that's, that's, that
4: has some value to a kid. Mm -hmm. It's what I do. (laughs) Okay. My take is less than 1% of all athletes, doesn't matter what sport, basketball, football, soccer, volleyball, you know, whatever these, you know, whatever platforms or, you know, marketability and value that the student athletes have created, less than 1% are going to make six figures. I mean, that's uh, like, nobody's going to be making that much money. And I would say less than 5% are going to make five figures. Literally, we're talking about hundreds of dollars for most of these student athletes when it comes to name, image, and likeness. There is not going to be that much money. I mean, from a marketability standpoint, you know, if if you make a commercial with Deuce Vaughn, for example, you know, and you air it in Manhattan or or wherever. Let's say it's pick a car dealership in town. Say it's Briggs, you know, whatever. Deuce Vaughn does a, a commercial, runs during football season. Let's say he transfers, you know. Briggs loses that value of having that commercial because he doesn't play for K state anymore. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's this certain risk of how much marketing dollars can you put into having a student athlete that can now up and and leave at free will. There's no restrictions on movement at this point they can leave. And you know, the, the value of that commercial is, is gone, you know, almost instantly. So I don't think that there's as much money out there especially in, in the Kansas state market, but even for other markets like Ohio state or Tennessee or, or whoever, you know, maybe one or two guys are going to make a hundred thousand dollars on those teams. And I really think it's going to be a lot less because quite frankly, just like you can pay recent college grads, not very much money. When you flash $10,000 at, you know, star quarterback, that's still going to be the most money he's ever seen from some, you know, paid appearance or whatever. So, I think the value there for this is, I think, kind of inflated in in a lot of people's minds. From Kned, with K-State and Illinois both in the Hall of Fame Classic field,
1: what odds do you give a Weber versus Underwood matchup being scheduled? And from Win the Dang Day 2001, considering all Illinois and Arkansas are losing to the NBA and Cincinnati with a new coach, is this a winnable tournament? I like how we've just forgotten
4: saying the abbreviation of Win the Ding Day.
1: It's just easier. It's just, easier to, it's just yeah. easier to say out loud. <laughs> I, I didn't mess it up at all. So it's less syllables. Yeah.
2: No, I'm no. Like, I've got to have it. I didn't know what it meant. Look, <laughs> <laughs> there's no way they match them up in the first round. No,
1: yeah. there's not. Not going to no. happen.
2: I mean, that's that's the marquee game. That you want for the championship problem. I don't know. Arkansas is going to bring fans. That's an easy drive. And Cincinnati's not even that far, but they don't have a huge fan base. I'd know.
4: guess that the matchups would be K-State, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Illinois. That would be, be my guess for it's, the first round. And Arkansas,
2: Illinois would be the late game the, for whatever the more advantageous TV slot is. Yeah. That would make sense. I mean.
3: Or are you going or, or Or you could look at it as the other way around and say Cincinnati was not as good as Arkansas or Illinois last year. So you might want to have Arkansas play Kansas State and Illinois play Cincinnati and see if you can get Cincinnati or see if you can get Arkansas and Illinois in the championship game because they might be the best teams in the tournament. I would agree Kansas with that. K State's the best also true. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.
2: How's that Kool Aid over there? <laughs> um that this is fun. This is good. I'm glad. It's gonna yeah. be this is an excuse for me to go to Kansas City. I'm all in. Zach, we probably should be there for three days. Okay. Uh, guys, we're going to have a lot three of days of coverage from Power & Light. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll be doing live updates from Power & Light. What about the barbecue? We'll have to probably do some barbecue sampling,
4: yes. We'll make a podcast about the barbecue that we have. Oh, my
2: God, that'd be awesome. We should just do a barbecue podcast all summer long. Go to Kansas City. Eat barbecue.
4: We should just get it all delivered to one location. We all just do it all at once. A taste testing.
2: Like an Embassy Suites. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) We do it during the day, and then we take a little nap and then wake up for the free drinks from the general manager. Yes. (laughs) We're planning our social life right here on the podcast. (laughs) I'm excited. I like it when K-State's in this tournament. I just hope they don't get matched up with Duke. Or North Carolina.
4: Yeah, it just hasn't worked out well. I actually played that one kind of close.
2: You should have won that one, yeah. That for one sure. was close. I remember watching that game against Duke, and I'm thinking, this Kyrie Irving kid's pretty good. He's really making Jacob Pullen, who's
4: really good, look kind of clownish.
2: Turned out I was right. He's pretty good. I got an eye for those
4: things. But does Jacob Pullen think the earth is round? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think, think he so. Does. I think so. Since he plays over in Europe. Yeah yeah probably curve of the earth yeah
1: I'm excited for this though I saw in Wabash that uh you know it's a stacked field and there's one there's always that one team in every tournament that's you know sucks and you look at it, and this looks like a really good field. You think about it for a second, and it's like, are we the team that sucks but <laughs> I hope not, but I think it'll be fun and i I really hope that k state doesn't end up in last because they've got a chance to. You know, this is in it's Thanksgiving time, right? So they've got a chance to kind of go into December with some momentum.
2: Yeah, that's a good question, though. Is it, who do they discuss, Who do they think is the team that's going to get their ass kicked? Yeah. I mean, Cincinnati just had that weird coaching change. Um, I don't even know who they hired. Who did they hire? Mm-hmm. Have they hired Wes Miller?
4: Oh yeah, I know him. He's from the Millers. Where is? Where's he from, Cole? Give us some details. He's hmm. from the Miller family. The, the Miller, the, the Millers.
3: Where the Millers? They call him High Life. <laughs> <laughs>
4: well
2: done. Uh, okay. Well, I can't read this story. Um, I just got hit a paywall. <laughs> Hold on. I'm a member of the Athletic. What the hell? Um, so yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine. In hindsight, from my previous answer, I can't imagine them match those two schools up. They'll they'll be who Arkansas and Illinois play. So go team.
1: Last question of the podcast. Here he is again from Adam K 63.
2: Ah, that jackass won't go away.
1: (laughs) Do you like the fact that Pete Hughes talks about Omaha quite a bit when talking about his team?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, there isn't one, but I'm, I'm a little bit surprised there isn't like a, National Invitational Tournament, eight teams that didn't get in the NCAA Tournament all go to Frisco, Texas and play. I'm surprised there actually isn't one. It's a good idea. <clears throat> and But if there was one, I don't think Pete's the kind of guy that would talk about postseason. He would talk about going to Omaha. He's not talking about getting in the NCAA Tournament and going to Fayetteville to play a couple games and lose. He's talking about going through that, going to the Super Regional, and
3: making it to Omaha. What's interesting is it was hard for K State to even make the Big Twelve tournament these past few years. Mm-hmm. And so for him to not even talk about that, which is something I wrote uh the other day, it was like they beat Oklahoma and practically, assuming they take care of business, secured a spot in the Big Twelve tournament, which, you know, in, in years past would be a, a good season. He doesn't even talk about that. He expects this team to go to Omaha and I truly believe that he thinks that they will end there at the season will they I don't know but I love his confidence personally
4: I think it's good because it sets an expectation for K-State baseball that's been much higher than what it has ever been you know it's always been a dream I guess a pretty far off dream to get to Omaha but him talking about it kind of puts it closer and you know if that's the goal you know that's It's better than, you know, going to the Big 12 tournament, better than going to the first round, better than going to the Super Regional. You know, yes, K-State really hasn't been to those places a lot or even recently. But, you know, making Omaha the goal, I think it makes it easier, at least mentally for the guys to say, hey, we're good enough to make it to the tournament, Big 12 tournament. We're good enough to make it to the NCAA tournament. We can play baseball. We can get through to Omaha. So I think it just it sets a uh, an expectation a higher expectation for K-State baseball than what we've seen a lot in the past.
2: I love it, man. I love it. <clears throat> now, if you had a basketball coach come in and talk about we're going to be a Final 4 team within the next 4 years, you might laugh at him. But I believe Scott Drew when he was hired to pick up the mess in Waco, mentioned a Final 4. Took him 20 plus years. But it happened. Bill Snyder talked about the greatest turnaround. So we're talking about sports, but we've all had friends, or at least those of us older, who coming out of college said, I'm going to be a millionaire by da-da-da, and here's how I'm going. I'm not just talking about it. Here's my action plan. And I joke a lot about, I've got a photo from the Aggieville riot up behind me in which I have four or five fraternity brothers actively involved in tipping over the VW bug, three of whom are retired as millionaires. Or two of them are retired. Third is still working, but living a pretty good life. Millionaires. So, I don't know. I'm hoping Pete Hughes was a vandal. Because he's going to make his dreams come true by taking K-State to Omaha. Does anyone have any more thoughts on this? Let me just leave it at this. Can you imagine the crap show if Kansas State makes it to Omaha and fans head up there? Omaha... You want this. If you own a bar in Omaha, you want this. But greater Omaha, you probably don't want this. I mean, it's just going to be a mess. There's going to be like purple bodies strewn all over town. (laughs) People are going to be missing the game because they just went to Omaha. I've actually wanted to go to Omaha sometime just to go to Omaha. I don't really care about the baseball. You know, I'm I'm not anti-baseball, but I certainly don't want to sit in a ballpark all day and watch four games. That's not me. Just for the social aspect. Kinda of like going to New Orleans for Mardi Gras, but not showing up for the parade. That's the way I look at Omaha with the college baseball world series.
4: You're weird. You'd go you'd go to the you'd probably go to Kansas City and a playoff game would be played at Arrowhead or Kaufman and you'd rather be in Power and Light. I don't know about Power and Light, but yeah, that's, that's probably me. Yeah. I'm not a big weird.
2: I'm an elitist. Give me my press box. I don't oh, need to
4: cheer. That's what you mean by elitist.
2: I just want to have a comfy chair, an accessible bathroom, which is growing in value to me every day, and you know, snacks. I really would be a sweet owner if I had the money. I should probably <laughs> probably start covering Texas. Huh. No. okay, that's it. We're done. I got. I got to think about that.
1: PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com and Spirit Street
0: Publishing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.